Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism podcast series. Today we'll begin part two of the two-part Yeshua Judaism discussion, which you can find on the TorahMessiah.org website. Now, in written form on the website, you will see that part two is twice as long as part one. So it is quite possible that this part two podcast may actually itself be two parts. I would rather keep the podcast to within 30 minutes, which is difficult to do in most cases. I definitely want to try to never go over one hour and 45 minutes I find acceptable. So when we begin to approach the 45-minute mark or so, if we're not through, then I will simply pause the part two of description of Yeshua Judaism, and we'll pick pick it up in a second part two, and uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. But I, I very much expect that we're not going to be able to complete this part two podcast in a single setting, and I don't want people to go beyond forty five minutes to it most an hour on any podcast. All right, now that I've wasted time discussing that, let's get into Yeshua Judaism Part 2. And again, this can be found in written form, in PDF format, downloadable if you wish, on the TorahOfMessiah.org website. Okay, first, before diving right into it, I want to emphasize again what I touched upon in Part 1, and that is this. Yeshua Judaism generally agrees with what we call Akiva Judaism, or Rabbinic or Orthodox Judaism. It agrees with it in the overwhelming number of situations and beliefs. However, it agrees with it with this caveat, not the Durabanans. In other words, if you can take Akiva Judaism, by the way, a Durabanan represents the Rabbinic dictates, which are not found in the actual Torah itself. They're their rules, the rabbis themselves implement, okay? So if you can separate the the Rabbanims out out of Akiva Judaism, you would end up with many, many similarities with Yeshua Judaism. And frankly, even many of the Rabbanims would would be acceptable in Yeshua Judaism. But I want to make that clear, because you're going to hear a lot of differences, a lot of a conflict between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. But the reason is I'm, I'm trying to show the distinction. I'm not wasting time or I'm not going into the many, many, many similarities. I'm trying to show distinction. That way, Christians, who are the primary target audience, hopefully, of these podcasts, whom we hope to rescue from the paganism and lawlessness and horrific misrepresentation of the New Testament— that is demonstrated within Christianity, those Christians need to understand what distinguishes us in terms of a Torah faith from Akiva Judaism. So that's why, even though it seems like all I'm doing is talking about all these differences and it sounds like there's so many differences, in fact, there aren't. But the differences that do exist are very, very significant. They're major. All right, now that I've clarified that, and and I'll continue here and there to mention that point. So, 
Yeshua Judaism Part 2, How It Differs from Orthodox or Rabbinic Judaism. The Crucial, Polarizing, Unresolvable Differences. This Part 2 discussion will introduce the differences with minimal detail since particulars will be presented within separate individual or combined discussions, hopefully over time. As mentioned in Part 1, Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism are far more alike than different. However, the few differences are so critical that unity between those two Torah faiths is virtually impossible. Yeshua Judaism shows respect for Akiva Judaism. Akiva Judaism thus far refuses to return the kindness. It also curses Yeshua Judaism every day in the synagogues via the Shemonei Israel or Amidah prayer. That issue will be mentioned in the list below. Now, before going further, go back if you don't understand what is Yeshua Judaism. When I say Yeshua Judaism, I'm referring to the actual true faith, the teachings, the faith practices that are presented in the New Testament. It was and is a sect of Judaism, and we call it Yeshua Judaism. But since it's based upon Yeshua, the Messiah, versus Akiva Judaism, which is based upon Rabbi Akiva. So now continuing on. We call upon Akiva Judaism to renounce and remove the Berkat Hamanin curse from the Shemonei Israel prayer. You're going to hear me harp on that over and over. I am not going to sit by. And like most other people do, particularly within Messianic organizations, and remain silent in the face of a curse that Akiva Judaism rabbis implemented 2,000 years ago and for 2,000 years have been praying daily in their synagogues. The curse needs to be removed. Until they do any suggestion from anyone that Akiva Judaism is a loving faith is proven to be false. I cannot fathom how they feel the curse can possibly be pleasing to God. It is a remnant of hatred that needs to be purged from Akiva Judaism. Now, an important clarification, a very, very important clarification. Before listing some of the basic differences between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism, I must emphasize that the items listed as applying to Akiva Judaism do not, and I repeat, do not represent the beliefs or attitude among Jews in general. Most Jews, though they may join me in sincerely and deeply respecting the rabbis, nevertheless reject the elitist teachings of Akiva Judaism and are at times themselves the object of sharp derision and scorn from its rabbis and devotees. Therefore, do not assume that the positions of Akiva Judaism represent the beliefs of a typical Jew. They absolutely do not. And anyone claiming otherwise is simply wishing to stoke the vile flames of anti-Semitism. Generally speaking, Jews are among the finest, caring, giving, and gifted humans on planet Earth. They, like anyone else, struggle and suffer with imperfections and flaws. And unlike most non-Jews, they have had to suffer from the revolting scourge 
of anti-Semitism. If the Jewish people could remove their bias by pushing aside the anti-Yeshua brainwashing of past Akiva Judaism-influenced generations, as well as Christianity's horribly brutal history and severe misrepresentation of the New Testament, and if they could allow themselves the freedom to sincerely think with an open mind, they may recognize the obvious superiority and truth of Yeshua Judaism versus Akiva Judaism. May God make it so. Now, I want to point, I mentioned in the, earlier on how Jews themselves are often a very direct target of Akiva Judaism rabbis, of, of how the rabbis speak badly of them. They call them uh, ignoramuses, they call them the Erevrav, and these will terms we'll get into later. Basically, it comes down to this. Within Akiva Judaism, if you don't kiss the rabbi's butts, if you don't bow down to the rabbi and you're Jewish, you're a bad Jew. It's just that simple. If you do not respect the rabbis, even the rabbis will speak harshly and attack Jews. I mean, it's very strange. In such situations, the rabbis themselves become somewhat anti-Semitic. Because if a Jew doesn't respect the rabbis, oh, look out. They're going to bring down the hammer on you if you're a Jew and you don't respect the rabbis. Okay. One obvious difference between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism is Yeshua Judaism's belief that Yeshua, or using the false name from Christianity, Jesus, is Messiah. Messiah ben Yosef, when he was first present 2,000 years ago, and Messiah ben David, when he returns. Yet, that difference is really only a modest variation of opinion involving deeper Torah concepts, which Akiva Judaism teaches, but of which most Jews are unaware. Rabbis and other Torah-observant or devout Jews may disagree, but that is either because they are unaware, disingenuous, or dare not acknowledge the overwhelming parallels between the Torah they embrace and the New Testament writings. Therefore, I will not detail the obvious distinction involving Yeshua other than a brief mention of it in the list which I will be itemizing later, since we all know that to be a difference between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. Now briefly, since I mentioned it, let me touch upon the concept of the two messiahs. Yes, two messiahs. Akiva Judaism absolutely does teach that there are two messiahs. Messiah ben Yosef, or Messiah ben Joseph, and Messiah ben David. Messiah ben Yosef precedes Messiah ben David and is generally considered to have a much more difficult position and more power. Each of them has a specific task, and actually it's a process. And before I go further, the entire Messiah issue involves more of a process than it does individuals. And I won't get into detail of that now, but it's, but it's true, and you'll have, you'll have rabbis who are experts in Hashkafa and Kabbalah, other things, and they will, they will clearly identify that point, that the entire Messiah issue involves a process that takes place that just happens to be exemplified and personified in two 
distinct characters, Messiah and Joseph and Messiah and David. One of the more important tasks of Messiah and Joseph is purification, which involves the removal of the zoma, or poison of the snake. This task returns us to the state of Adam before he and Chava, or Eve, sinned by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Among his other tasks are vicarious atonement, which I prove Akiva Judaism to teach in a separate discussion. And you can find the vicarious atonement discussion on the TorahMessiah.org website, and there will be a podcast, God willing, coming soon, in which I will also have it in audio format. But vicarious atonement, purification, and also the regathering of Israel, or at least the beginning of the regathering of Israel, is among the tasks that is identified with Messiah ben Yosef. Note that I will mention later within this discussion that Yeshua Judaism defines Israel as both a physical and spiritual entity. Additionally, it is not simply Jews, but the lost ten tribes as well who compose the ancestral people of the physical land of Israel. And since Israel is actually more of a spiritual entity than a physical one, and yes, even the rabbis will often admit that, then you can add to the tribes of Israel, the ancestral people of the land of Israel, anyone else who embraces the God of Israel and his Torah. And that is what Israel is within Yeshua Judaism. It's not a physical entity so much as it is a spiritual entity. However, we very much do recognize and embrace the physical nature of Israel as well. Now, the task of Messiah ben David. His task is to elevate the holiness of those under his earthly rule while bringing mankind progressively closer to God during the near future Messianic era in which he will reign as king of all the earth. That elevation will achieve what Adam failed to achieve because of his disobedience. As a result, Olam Haba, roughly equivalent to Christianity's concept of heaven, will begin to emerge. Most Jews, amazingly, are unacquainted with this basic two-Messiahs teaching of Judaism, as are most Christians, since Christianity's concept is woefully flawed. Christianity has a horribly defective understanding of Messiah and also, frankly, of God. The two-Messiah concept is a rather expansive topic upon which I hope to subsequently elaborate in separate discussions, but it must be realized that the New Testament did not originate the idea of two appearances of Messiah. It did not originate that idea. It is a fundamental Jewish concept. It was simply hinting, that is, the New Testament was hinting at a foundational dogma that was always present within the deeper hidden aspects of the Torah faith. Furthermore, Guess what? Yeshua Judaism revealed this concept in written form long before Akiva Judaism did. So, moving beyond that brief discussion of two messiahs, what other glaring yet few distinctions exist besides the obvious regarding Messiah's identity? That is, 
what distinctions exist between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism other than the identity of Messiah? Well, after three decades of a broad-minded journey to find truth, I finally arrived at what I firmly believe are, perhaps, the most radical and divisive issues that separate Yeshua Judaism from Akiva Judaism. I detail a list within this podcast that I will go over, and if you go to the website and look at the written material, you will have it in written form. I realize that that list does not apply to all groups or individuals within Judaism. Again, I understand that what I'll be discussing here, the distinctions between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism, does not apply to all Jewish groups or synagogues. I also realize and acknowledge that there is overlap within the distinctions, and that overlap was deemed necessary in order to grasp a proper depth of understanding with regard to the sharp contrast between the two Torah faiths of Yeshua Judaism and Akiva, or Orthodox Judaism. All right, the primary differences, and I've said this before in other podcasts, and you will hear this perhaps more and more, but it's important. And this goes back to a friend of mine who asked me, well, can you tell me in one or two sentences what the differences are? So this is basically it. The primary differences between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism can be summed up in two sentences, and it will be detailed as we go through the list. Yeshua Judaism advances equality, inclusion, and brotherhood among mankind. Akiva Judaism, by contrast, advances elitism, exclusion, and rabbinic authoritarianism. So now let's go down through an itemized list. The most sweeping and schismatic distinctions between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. And again, there's going to be overlap. But that's to illustrate distinct subtleties among various distinctions. Number one. Yeshua Judaism teaches that Yeshua was Messiah ben Yosef, that is, Messiah son of Joseph, and will return as Messiah ben David, that is, Messiah son of David. Akiva Judaism, of course, rejects and despises Yeshua. Akiva Judaism has a list of potential Messiah ben Yosefs. They teach, for instance, that every, within every generation you have potential Messiahs. You have a potential Messiah ben Yosef and a potential Messiah ben David in every single generation. That's what Judaism, Akiva Judaism teaches. So it teaches that there's a list of potential Messiah ben Yosefs and Messiah ben Davids throughout history. Rabbi Akiva was considered one of the Messiah ben Yosefs who tragically erred by endorsing Bar Kokhba as Messiah ben David. Because of Akiva's revered status... His endorsement was a pivotal moment in that Bar Kokhba rebellion war with Rome, which widened the conflict with Rome. The end result was devastating to Israel and the Jewish people. However, the expense and struggle Rome had to invest in the war was, according to some historians, a wound in itself from which Rome never fully recovered, that is, the Roman Empire. 
Now, believe it or not, and this is frankly stupid to me, but believe it or not, some Akiva Judaism rabbis incredibly claim Akiva was correct, but that it, quote, it just wasn't the right time, end quote. Thus, they actually revere to this day Rabbi Akiva as a Messiah ben Yosef and Bar Kokhva as a Messiah ben David. I will refrain from further comment about at this time about Rabbi Akiva, except to say that he clearly proved through his massively presumptuous Bar Kokhva endorsing error that he was not and is not Messiah ben Yosef, as so many believed and ironically still believe him to be. It also proves that he was not and is not infallible, as Akiva Judaism teaches. His horrific error in endorsing Bar Kokhva resulted in deaths I've seen numbers in the hundreds of thousands for certain, if not the millions. And he caused it. Rabbi Akiva was a reason for the death of numerous, numerous Jews because he wrongly picked the wrong guy. He picked Bar Kokhva as Messiah ben David, and he was wrong. And by the way, Bar Kokhva also despised the followers of Yeshua because the followers of Yeshua would not join his rebellion since they realized he wasn't Messiah. To them, Yeshua was and is Messiah. So they wouldn't join the conflict in support of Bar Kokhva because to do so, they would be in effect endorsing a false Messiah, which Yeshua himself warned against them doing. So Bar Kokhva despised Yeshua Judaism followers, and of course, so did Rabbi Akiva, and so did all, do all his followers, and thus so does Akiva Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. Now, Yeshua Judaism, on the other hand, has a simple and straightforward identification for both messiahs, Yeshua. By comparison, Akiva Judaism is a jumbled mess of potentials, maybe, could be, don't know, wrongly timed messiah characters. So Yeshua Judaism is clear. Yeshua came as Messiah ben Yosef and will return as Messiah ben David. Akiva Judaism, it is a jumbled mess. They don't know. They choose this guy. Oop, messed up. They chose this guy. Oh, wrong time. It's, it's, it's a mess. And yet, uh, they seem to continue to do that and promote that shamelessly, even though it makes them, frankly, look foolish. In my opinion, people underestimate the opposition that this issue causes with Akiva Judaism or Orthodox Judaism because it places Yeshua in direct conflict with particularly Rabbi Akiva as a Messiah, and it plays a much larger role in Akiva Judaism's rejection and hatred of Yeshua and his followers than is commonly known. Now, I absolutely endorse deep respect and reverence for Rabbi Akiva, as well as virtually all other rabbis throughout Judaism history. I sincerely do. However, you cannot fully support both Yeshua and Akiva due to the sharp differences in their teachings, as will be detailed in this podcast and others. 
Many alleged messianics who claim to accept Yeshua as he is presented in the New Testament attempt to totally embrace both men. That is, many messianics attempt to embrace both Akiva and Yeshua. In almost every case of which I am aware, where a messianic rabbi or believer fully embraces both, Yeshua's glorious mission and position is weakened, while Akiva's and the Chazals, or Jewish sages, are exalted. Their exalted statuses are maintained. Akiva Judaism knows that, and therefore, as part of their choice of Rabbi Akiva as a Messiah ben Yosef, they strongly oppose Yeshua, seeing him as both a competitor and an imposter. Now, distinction number two. It is taught within Akiva Judaism that a primary task of Messiah ben Yosef is to regather all of Israel, including the lost ten tribes, and the New Testament has direct references to exactly that. Yeshua Judaism takes that mission seriously. On the other hand, search as you may within Akiva Judaism's material, be it written, audio, or video, and you will have difficulty finding detailed discussions about the other ten tribes, except for, perhaps, historic references. If you strenuously search, you may find something, but it is rare. Akiva Judaism strangely seems to ignore that mission, to ignore the mission of regathering the other ten tribes. Part of the non-elitist basis of Yeshua Judaism, which promotes that Torah is for all mankind, and which will be mentioned later, incorporates among those all mankind the ten tribes, which were assimilated into the nations following their defeat by the Assyrians. A simple question. How can the lost ten tribes hear Torah unless all mankind hears Torah? Answer, they can't. That may be a reason for God's plan, including the assimilation of those ten tribes. God wants everyone to hear his Torah, and that is something we'll get to later that Akiva Judaism very strongly rebukes and opposes. They do not want everyone to hear his Torah. So the only way to spread Torah to all Israelites even, even to just the Israelites, forget the Goyim, forget the non-Jews, forget the non-Israelites, the only way to spread Torah to all the Israelites since they have been assimilated into the nations and they were forced to be absorbed into the nations and, and they have every bit as a, a right to Torah as does any Jew. All the ten tribes were there. All the, tri- all the twelve tribes were there. Excuse me. All the tribes were there at Mount Sinai. They all heard the Torah. They have as much right to it as a Jew. So the only way to spread it to all of Israel who were actually present is to spread it to all mankind. Do you get my point? In order for even the Israelites to whom Torah was given directly, in order for them to hear the Torah today, it needs to be spread to everyone on earth because they're hidden among the many nations on earth. And if you don't do that, they're not going to hear it. But this creates a serious problem for Akiva Judaism. You see, Akiva Judaism is 
firmly opposed to advancing Torah to the Goyim, or nations, non-Jews. Their refusal to do so means that their Israelite brethren remain ignorant of Torah. I am, sincerely, I am often puzzled why they do not seem to care. I mean, Akiva Judaism rabbis don't care about the other ten tribes. It seems that if they must advance Torah among the nations of the Goyim, within whom their Israelite brethren live and are not identifiable except by God, if they have to do that, then they clearly choose to decline the task. Thus, Akiva Judaism's rabbis implicitly provide evidence that love for even their fellow Israelites is lacking. Their elitist dislike of the Goyim, or non-Jews, appears to be stronger than is their love for the dispersed Israelite ten tribes, their own tribal brethren. Their dislike and hatred of non-Jews is so strong that they will not spread Torah among them, even though that is where the other ten tribes are hidden. Okay, now we'll get to distinction number three. Yeshua Judaism teaches that God has a plan, that the plan is working perfectly and does not change. God has predetermined the times of all events, and any apparent change is simply a currently unknown element of the plan's complexity, which he alone knows. Akiva Judaism, on the other hand, teaches that the Jews determine everything, that everything is determined solely for them, that God has relinquished control of his plan basically to them, and that God is letting them drive creation's ship and determine its course. As you see, Akiva Judaism teaches that it is all about them. By the way, One element of God's plan that Christians need to acknowledge was for Yeshua to be rejected when he first arrived. Yeshua made that very clear to his disciples. It is clear in the New Testament that Yeshua, known again by most Christians by the false name Jesus, he knew he was sent to die. He knew he was going to be rejected. That was one of the reasons he was sent. He had to be rejected by the Jewish people, and in other podcasts and discussions, we'll delve in deeper into that and into why that may have been the case. But the disciples did not understand until after it had occurred and they had received the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit, which then opened their minds to truth and gave them understanding that they did not possess while Yeshua was with them. Therefore, Christians... Any anger against Jews for Yeshua's death is grossly misplaced, ignorant, and denies God's plan. It also ignores the fact that without death, Yeshua would not have been resurrected by his God, our God, the one and only God. Additionally, Yeshua directly stated, quote, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. End quote. That is, forgive those who basically caused his death and suffering. 
Christians need to state the same thing Yeshua did and hope that their own grievous errors of faith and practice, which are far worse than Judaism's, by the way, are likewise forgiven. Finally, it was actually the Romans who killed Yeshua, not Jews? And they killed him with only a select number of Jews in agreement. A minority of Jews agreed with the death sentence imposed upon Yeshua. Akiva Judaism seems to portray God as basically being senile, unable to make up his mind, and constantly changing his plan based upon the actions of various Jewish characters. For example, Akiva Judaism identifies several times in history when, according to them, the redemption should have occurred, but that because of a particular sin, by an important character, or by the Jews as a whole, it did not occur. In each instance, if it had occurred, the overwhelming majority of humans, that is, non-Jews, would have had virtually no chance for Olam Hobah, or eternal life. However, Akiva Judaism's rabbis do not acknowledge the problem, frankly, because they don't care about the non-Jews. The lack of concern Akiva Judaism exhibits for anyone other than Jews is among the more problematic issues with that faith system. Now, distinction number four. And I think after this one, I'm probably going to pause this part two and we'll pick it up in the next podcast. Again, distinction number four. Yeshua Judaism teaches there is no elite superior race of humans who possess dramatically more exalted neshamas or divine souls residing within humans. Again, there is no elite superior race of humans, according to Yeshua Judaism. Akiva Judaism, on the other hand, teaches the opposite. It explicitly teaches that the Jew is superior due to the Jews' superior neshamas or souls. This is a primary basis for the entirety of Akiva Judaism's grotesque elitism. Now, this item requires a bit more clarity and discussion due to its far-reaching ramifications and because even many Jews are unaware that Akiva Judaism includes this teaching. Simply put, with no biblical proof whatsoever, Akiva Judaism claims that God offered the Torah to all nations and was turned down by those nations until he offered it to Israel. Again, no biblical support whatsoever. Because of that, according to Akiva Judaism, all those other nations, the non-Jews, had their divine souls, or neshamas, so dramatically diminished that an inferior, quote, new species of human, unquote, was created. That new species was the goy, or the non-Jew. When they are asked where this teaching originates, Akiva Judaism's or Orthodox Judaism's rabbis reply, the Chazal, that is, the sages. Or they attempt a wildly speculative, mystical, and unprovable answer. 
Now, you should note, and it should be realized, that if the Chazal, that is Judaism sages, taught it, then to Akiva, Akiva Judaism devotees, it is literally equivalent to the Creator God teaching it. This is particularly true of the most highly revered of the Chazal, foremost of whom is Rabbi Akiva himself. I will discuss Akiva Judaism's pseudo-idolatrous sage worship later. So, Akiva Judaism bases their goy creation belief on totally unsubstantiated teachings of the sages. For instance, the Midrash Sifri Deuteronomy, or Sifri Devarim, an important writing within Akiva Judaism's material, which scholars believe may have been authored by Akiva or one of his students, is one such source. God willing, I will elaborate by quoting directly from the Sifri in a future expanded discussion on this specific issue, as well as from various lectures by rabbis within Akiva Judaism. Yes, Akiva Judaism teaches that the Goy, or non-Jew, was created at Mount Sinai, and that they are an inferior species of human. Yes, they teach that, my friend, and I will prove it in the future. There is zero evidence, or even hints, of such a teaching in the Tanakh, or Older Testament. In fact, the Tanakh clearly shows that God never offered Torah to anyone other than Israel. Nevertheless, Akiva Judaism says otherwise, despite the lack of evidence other than the opinions of the Akiva band of elitist Pharisees from whom Akiva Judaism originates. As I studied this issue over a period of years, I was increasingly stunned and saddened by the depth of arrogance and the shameless elitism it demonstrates. I looked at it from various perspectives with the hope that perhaps there was some justification for Akiva Judaism's claims, but no matter how much I tried, there was no way to soften the blow of obnoxiousness. It is a grotesque teaching. It is an utterly repulsive teaching, and there is no way to parse the facts to show any differently, even though rabbis often try. In fact, I intend in the future to provide quotes in the upcoming expanded discussion on this issue from a lecture given by a rabbi in which he attempts to justify it, and his attempts result actually in illuminating and highlighting the arrogance even more. There are other such lectures I could provide which produce the same worsening result. This teaching, that is the teaching that the Goy, the non-Jew, is an inferior species of human, was no doubt believed by many Pharisees during Yeshua's day in the first, in the first century during which the New Testament was written. Since it was later taught by the Chazal, it is considered by Akiva Judaism's rabbis to be a fundamental truth. This single, baseless, and profoundly arrogant principle of Akiva Judaism is a dominant source of nourishment for its entire elitist ideology. The extent of implications resulting from this single point, this single issue, 
some of which are noted in the items that we will cover later, is immeasurable. The, the implications, the far-reaching consequences of this grotesquely elitist teaching, this totally unsubstantiated teaching, the implications are immeasurable. Notably, this revolting teaching from Akiva Judaism does not state that the Israelites had their souls exalted at Mount Sinai following the revelation of Torah, which, res- which resulted in the rest of humanity, that is the Goyim, becoming inferior due to their souls staying at the same level they were. Let me state that again. This revolting teaching it, it, it does not state that the Israelites had their souls elevated at Mount Sinai. It states that the Goyim had their souls diminished at Mount Sinai. And, of course, if the Jews, if the Israelites had their souls elevated, then yes, the rest of the world, their souls would have been at the same level and they would have been inferior spiritually. But that's not what they teach. That is a more reasonable concept that I could actually accept. I could actually accept that. And I believe when someone embraces the God of Israel, when someone embraces Torah, there is an elevation of soul that takes place. There is. And that's because that idea infers that an understandable change would have happened to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, while no change happened to the Goyim, or non-Israelites, to whom Torah was not given. However, that is not how Akiva Judaism justifies the more exalted condition of the Jew. Instead, Akiva Judaism teaches that the souls of the Goyim, or non-Jews, were drastically diminished from where they were before the giving of the Torah. In other words, Akiva Judaism basically teaches that the day after the Torah was given, all non-Israelites of the world were a dramatically reduced species of human than they were the day before Torah was given. Effectively, it teaches that they went to bed as normal human beings and awoke as gravely diminished subhumans who simply looked physically the same as before. As a result, according to Akiva Judaism, all Israelites, that is Jews, were from that point on a far superior species of human, compared to any non-Jew, due to the reduction in the soul that would be suffered by that non-Jew. Importantly, Akiva Judaism teaches that if a goy, a non-Jew, converts to Judaism, the non-Jew then has his or her soul elevated to the level of a Jew and joins the ranks of the superior species. This actually closely parallels Yeshua Judaism's teachings surrounding the born-again or born-from-above experience. As I said earlier, I believe that a person's soul does become elevated following their sincere decision to pursue a proper relationship with God. Yeshua Judaism's understanding, and thus the New Testament's understanding, does not agree with the flawed replacement theology, anti-Torah distortion of born again, as is generally taught within pagan, defective Christianity. Yeshua Judaism also assumes that prior to an individual's 
decision to pursue a proper relationship with God, that all humans stand as equals before God. In other words, all people are at a basic equal standing until they pursue a proper relationship with God. Then that individual has their souls elevated because of their choice to pursue truth, to pursue the God of Israel, to pursue and understand Torah. But before that, they're all at the same level. Akiva Judaism does not teach that. It basically teaches that the ethnic Jew, just by being an ethnic Jew, even if that Jew is an atheist, even if that Jew is, is agnostic, even if that Jew is a Christian, that just by being an ethnic Jew, they are superior. Yeshua Judaism does not categorically reject Akiva Judaism, excuse me, Akiva Judaism's understanding. Instead, as just stated, the Yeshua Judaism faith simply views the concept from a far less elitist position and does not assign such a position based solely upon ethnicity. Also, Yeshua Judaism absolutely rejects the unsubstantiated, quote, Torah offered to all nations, close quote, teaching. It also rejects the superior species terminology for those who embrace the true God and his Torah, preferring it to be more accurately described as a higher level of spiritual awareness and closeness to God. Therefore, Yeshua Judaism shares the belief that embrace of Torah and the God from whom it originates does place a person in a more exalted position to affect creation. However, a rabbi does not have the authority to decide if a person achieves that level of faith. Only God has such authority. All right, so we've covered the first four distinctions and differences between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. I'm going to pause here because we've already exceeded 45 minutes and we've only gotten, we haven't even gotten halfway through. We're almost halfway through this part two discussion of Yeshua Judaism. So please pick it up next time with part two of part two (laughs) in which we will define and expand upon the differences between Yeshua Judaism and Orthodox Judaism. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to you hearing part two of part two. Thank you.